0: Amen. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Doing okay? You look great. Hey, you're going to need a lot of stuff, all right? You need like a deck of cards here to make it through today's service. You need all these three things. It was either handed to you or you're sitting on it or it's in the seat back in front of you. It's our vision for 2017. Don't cheat and start looking at it until I tell you to. Um, There's this single page here that talks about, it's just some of the announcements of the, the things coming up here in our church. And then also, I don't even need to tell you about this one, the Before All Things booklet, because you're like, I know, Pastor, I have been studying this all week long. Thank you so much for that. And then you also need a copy of God's Word, your very own Bible. If you don't have one of your own, grab one in the seat back in front of you. Find the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament. This is the third week of the first part of a four-part series that lasts 14 weeks of the book of Colossians. And I know it's only this long. This is the whole book right here. It's really a letter, not a book. I don't know why we call it books, but we do. And so this is what it is, and it's going to take us 14 weeks to get through this. And if you're like, why does it take so long? You'll see as I begin to preach. Okay, so this is the third week. And, and uh, do you know the average church attender comes to church 1.7 times a month? And I don't know where they get that number. I don't know if it's that you just come like two out of every five or if they don't count the first part of the service that those of you that missed the singing part. I'm not sure how that works. But of all the weekends to be here, you've picked a good one because we're going to talk about the vision of the Church of 1122 this year. So, if you're going to be on this rocket ship, you might as well know where we are going. That's what we're talking about. Now, week one in this before all things journey, we, t- we said, we, t- we talked about the prayers of a pastor rooted in Colossians chapter one. Paul prayed certain things for the church in uh, Colossae, and, and I am praying certain things for us in the church. And fundamentally, my prayer for you is that you would know the fullness of freedom and joy when you live with Jesus before all things. Because I've got, I don't know if this is good news or bad news for you, but Jesus is before all things. He will be first in your life. He'll either be first as your judge or he will be first as your savior. And my prayer for you is that you could understand that abundant life that he brings when he is before all things. And then last week, we hunkered down in the text that the before all things words are in. That he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. And in the fullness fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. And that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And he is before all things. And so last week we talked about the principle of preeminence. That he is first. That he loves first. That he went first. And our response to his firstness is to put him first in our life because he first loved us. By giving his first and best in Jesus Christ. And if he's not first in your life, then the rest of your life is completely out of order. And so, last week was kind of the why behind what we do as a church. The reason we do this is because of the preeminence of Christ, the firstness of Christ. And then today is all about the what. So what has God called us to do? So, um, I'm supposed to start in verse 21, but I need to back up to verse 19 just to give us a little bit of context. In case you weren't here last week, it says this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For in him, that's in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Underline the word pleased, that matters a lot. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the gospel. That not through our activity, not through our religious activity, not by trying to clean ourselves up, do we make peace between us and God Almighty, but through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ, peace is made between us and God, and that he came to reconcile all things. And then we get to verse 21, where I was supposed to start. Here we go. And you, this is talking to you. Now remember, Colossians was written to the church. So anybody that would consider themselves a Christ follower or a Christian, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. So apart from Christ, that is our condition. You ready? That you are alienated from God. You are hostile in mind. And you are a doer of evil deeds. Now again, if you're a regular here, you're like, bring it on, pastor. It's like our love language when I tell you how bad you are, okay? But if you're new here, I get it. You're like, who are you to tell me that I am hostile in mind and, and, and uh, alienated from God and a doer of evil deeds. You know why I'm telling you that? Because you are. You're a sinner. And I know you get offended. You know why you're offended right now? Because you're a sinner. That's why. <laughs> you see, it's actually much worse than you think. You're not just like your run-of-the-mill sinner. You're a wretched, black-hearted sinner that sits on the throne of your own kingdom where all things are to worship you and you alone. Yeah, it, it's pretty rancid. The, 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 the heart of the problem with you and me is that we have a heart problem. And, it, and I know, I get it, I get it. Here, here's why you're offended, because you bought into the lie of your kindergarten teacher. You were not a snowflake. <laughs> you were a sinner. You were not a rainbow. You were a rebel. You were not puppy's breath. You were not a Skittle. That's part of the problem with our world today is everybody thinks there are, okay? Well, snowflakes, that day is over. We were alienated from God. Um, Alienated is a kingdom word. Every single one of us are either, we're either members of the kingdom of God, and if we're not members of his kingdom, then we are alienated, and we are members of a different kingdom, this earthly kingdom. And we are hostile in mind. And I know people are like, I'm not hostile in mind. Oh, yeah? Then why do you bow up when God tries to jack around with one of your idols? The moment you let the Word of God, you let the Spirit of God, you let a friend, you let a pastor try to tell you to do life the way God says do life, but you're doing life a different way, and watch what happens. And here's what I mean. The moment God steps in and says, nope, that's not how sex works, I get to determine how that works because I created it. It was my idea. You'd be like, who are you? Who do you think you are trying to tell me what to do? He's the creator of life. That's who. Or or the moment, the moment any preacher starts talking about money, you should just see everybody's like, yep, that's what I thought. That's all churches want money. Get all hostile of mind. Do you know why? Because it's an idol that you worship. And the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God didn't want your treasure. He wants your heart. And you read through the Bible and you will notice this. God never snuggles up with an idol. He only crushes them and topples them. And the moment somebody starts jacking around with the idols in our life, we become hostile in mind. And we are the doers of evil deeds. This means that we are sinners, not mistakers. A mistake is, oops, I didn't mean to. First year, sometimes we slip and make mistakes. But think about the last time. Some of us, some of us planned sin, right? Like you scheduled it on your calendar. You booked a room. You didn't tell people about it. You packed it on ice in the car and hid it because you were underage. It was in a baggie under your seat and you were praying that God would help you sin by not getting caught. It's just true, we are doer of evil deeds. You see, here's, here's how I know this to be true. Nobody's lied to you more than you. I mean, forget the perfect command and law of God. We can't even keep our own commands. Do you know how I know this is true? We're 22 days in. Is anybody weigh what they promised they were going to weigh 22 days ago? Not me. Mine went the other way, okay? I'm pre-gaming for our Lent fast. I think that's what I'm doing. Literally, I had one of our elders look at me and go, you put on weight. Well, you're old, okay, so, and I can lose weight, all right? So, you know why I say that? Because by nature and nurture, alienated, hostile in mind, and the doer of evil deeds. That is the condition. That is our condition. And here's the deal. When he says we're alienated, this means positionally we are lost or broken and apart from God. When he says we're hostile in mind, this means our perspective is broken because we see through the lens of our own kingdom of which we want to be king of. And when he says that we are the doers of evil deeds, then practically... We are lost and broken. That is every single one of us, that we are not mistakers in need of a life coach. This is why the gospel is not God's good, you're bad, try harder. We've tried that. It's exhausting. David Platt in his book, Radical, I'd highly recommend that you read it. He says, the modern day gospel says God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That, that is true. It's just not complete. Therefore, follow these steps and you can be saved. The problem is you try to better you up and it just doesn't work, does it? Meanwhile, the biblical gospel says you're an enemy of God, dead in your sin, and in your present state of rebellion, you're not even able to see that you need life, much less cause yourself to come to life. Therefore, you are radically dependent on God to do something in your life that you could never do. You see, the reason that I think Paul starts here before he gets to the point of what, what he wants God to do in the Colossian church, he starts here to diagnose the problem. This, this is a graph from a book called The Cross-Centered Life that we look at over and over and over. And the reason we look at it over and over and over is to drive us deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because much like the Colossian church, there's a lot of churches today that think that the gospel was like the kickstarter to start the engine that is your relationship with Jesus. But the reality of the gospel is, it, it's the starter, but it's also the fuel on which our relationship with the Lord runs. You see, implicitly what I was taught growing up, again, God's good, you're bad, try harder. And that's what ended up in me rededicating my life to Jesus every year at camp. I would go out, fill up my sin bucket thought I was a bad Christian because I was, bring it back to camp, dump it all on the altar, and then fill it up all again next year. It was exhausting, and I thought either I'm not doing this right or Jesus didn't save me right. But the reality is is that when we surrender our life to the Lordship of Christ, we don't move away from the gospel. The gospel goes bigger and bigger and bigger in our life because we know our sin, apart from Christ, we are totally depraved, that we are alienated from God that we are hostile in mind, and that we are the doer of evil deeds. And when you get to this point, you think, woe is me. Who am I, God? Who am I? What chance do I have? And as, as our understanding of our own depravity grows, we, we get to the point where we go, it's much worse than I thought. And our understanding of the holiness of God grows and grows and grows. God is more magnificent. He's more powerful. He's more on the throne than we ever imagined. And there is this exponential chasm between it. And we get to the point because of the gospel that we say, and only the cross of Jesus can fill that chasm. That who am I that you would take my place? That you would take my place? This This is where the apostle Paul starts. He says, he says, And you, every single one of us who once were alienated, hostile in mind and doing the evil deeds. And we get to that place and we go, then then what's the remedy? I mean, what's the hope? What do I do? And then he introduces the gospel. The only remedy is Jesus. That we surrender our life to the lordship of Christ. And that we declare with our whole lives, Jesus, you are before all things. You do for me what I cannot do for me. That through your perfect life your sinner's death, and the resurrection on the third day, that that is what makes me have peace with the almighty God. The way Jesus said it is this. It's in in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. A lawyer comes to Jesus and says, "Uh, what's the greatest of all the commandments? And... And Jesus sums up all 600 and something commandments in the Old Testament. And he says it this way in the book of Mark. He says, the most important or the number one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6. It's called the Shema. And basically that's the Hebrew way of saying that he is before all things. And then he goes on to say, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, he tears out that heart of stone and he gives you a new heart. He gives you his heart. And in that kind of life transformation, we declare, Jesus, you are before all things. And God says, and so what you do is you put me first in your life by loving him with all of your soul. And when you love God with all of your soul, you are no longer alienated from God. You are adopted as his daughter. And when you love God with all your heart, you're no longer hostile towards God but you have a heart for him. And not by what you've done, but by what Christ has done and imputed unto you. When you love God with all your mind, you begin to see as God sees. And as you see as God sees, then you begin to do as God does. And therefore, you love God with all your strength. That you're no longer a doer of evil deeds, but you delight in obedience because you're a son or a daughter of the most high king. Jesus says, I am the remedy for the problem that you were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So he says, and you, who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. The word reconciled matters. Here's the gospel. This is where we were, but he has reconciled. He's put it back to the way it was supposed to be. He's fixed it. You see, what this means is that there was some point when things were okay, when things were right. And that point was before sin entered the world. If you go back to the very beginning of the bible the book of genesis and god creates mankind in his own image the bible says that when he creates adam he gathers together the dust of the earth The, the hebrew word for dust is adam or adam and he gathers together the dirt of this world and he and and he forms the form of a man but he's not a spiritual being yet So here's this form of a man, and then the Bible wants us to know that the Almighty God leans down and breathes the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam, the ruach of life, into his nostrils. Not a Steph Curry three-pointer from back here, okay? Not from the heavens above, but the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth gets face to face with the very first being in his image and breathes the ruach, of life into him. Breath and spirit are the same word in Hebrew. And then Adam and Eve and all creation are in a perfectly reconciled relationship with God. There is no break in that relationship until sin enters into the world and that relationship is forever fractured. It's broken. Not just with people, but all of creation is broken. And so then Jesus has come to reconcile us unto God, to make that thing right. So he lives a perfect life, he dies a sinner's death, and on the third day he's resurrected from the grave. Why? So that when he pushes up on his nail-pierced feet and he says, it is finished, it means he has paid the full Christ that he is the substitutionary atonement to make us right with God again. Now, when Jesus comes out of the grave, the disciples aren't even sure what's happening, so they huddle together in the little upper room because they're afraid because they just killed their leader, and they think they're probably going to come kill us next. And the Bible says in the book of John that the resurrected Christ just shows up in the room. The doors are locked, the walls are there, and then boom, there's Jesus. Why? Because when you come back from the dead, you can just walk through walls, I guess, okay? And he's in the room. And then the Bible says he walks around to them, and he breathes on them. Now, See, I think sometimes if you've been a Christian too long, you read through passages too quick. Let me just tell you what I'm saying here. At the end of the service, I'm right down here for the whole time. You walking at me, breathing my face. You better explain yourself. You'll be coming up, walking. Hey, pastor. I'm like, what the what? Get it? Tase him. It's flu season. Don't you give me that. You know what's happening here? Jesus breathes on him. He says, "Receive the Holy Ruach." The Holy Spirit. What Jesus is doing by his life, death, and resurrection is he is reconciling mankind. Just like Adam, when he opened his eyes for the very first time, he had a relationship with his heavenly father. Now, by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have been reconciled so that we can have that same unbroken relationship. This is where Paul starts. He says he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Holy and blameless and above reproach. Every single one of you that claim to be Christians, that, are, that you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, did you know that you are no longer a wretched, black hearted sinner, but now you are holy and blameless and above reproach? That you once were alienated, hostile in mind, and a doer of evil deeds, but that's the past tense. The old you is dead. You don't have to do the stuff you used to do because you're not the person you used to be. Now in Christ, you were holy and blameless and above reproach. So I dare you, if you really believe this, next time somebody says, how you doing? Holy, blameless, above reproach. That's kind of arrogant. Uh-uh, take it up with Jesus because God made him who was without sin to be sin for us that we would be made his righteousness, that you carry the righteousness of the almighty perfect son of God if you're in Christ. The illustration that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter six is a breastplate of righteousness. You've seen a breastplate, right, on the movies, a Roman breastplate, have you ever seen a chubby Roman breastplate? Do you know what apparently they did not do? They did not size up the fellows before they gave. Can you imagine if they, they gave you a breastplate and it actually looked like what you looked like? You'd be like, uh, can I trade this in? Yeah, you can. Because the Roman breastplates, those brothers look jacked. I mean, they look like CrossFitters, right? Just pecs and abs. And so when other people would see that, you know what they saw? Perfect pecs and abs on the breastplate of righteousness. Hey, bro, you have been working out? Not so much. A lot of jiggle going on underneath the breastplate that you were not able to see. And that's what imputed righteousness of Christ is like in our lives. Are you perfect? No. But when we have been given the imputed righteousness of Christ, God Almighty sees us as his perfect son, holy and blameless and above reproach. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Here's what this means. That the gospel is not just for your justification, but also for your sanctification. Now, I gotta explain. Justification, the best way to remember it, it's not altogether exactly perfect definition, but it helps. It's just if I never sin because of what Jesus did on the cross. That God sees you as Perfect. Sanctification is just over time, not overnight, you become more and more like Jesus. You see, what a lot of people want to believe, this was true in the Colossian church, this is true in modern-day evangelicalism. A lot of people think the cross is kind of the diving board into the depths of deeper spirituality. And we believe that it's by God great, God's grace that he saved us, but now I better shift gears and shift into the gospel, I mean shift into to work so I can earn my status with him. So I better make sure I do enough quiet times and go on enough mission trips and all those kinds of things. And what Paul is saying is, no, that gospel that saves you is also that gospel that sustains you. That that Jesus knew what he was getting into when he purchased you, both for your salvation and your sanctification. And God was pleased, pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. In other words, God did not begrudgingly save you. He's not just so aggravated with you because you can't keep your New Year's resolution or any of the commandments. He's like, oh, I guess I'll adopt them into the family. No. That Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation means a payment that satisfies, which means that God cannot be dissatisfied in you because Jesus fully satisfied the righteous law and the righteous love of an almighty God, which means this, he is stoked about you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And so continue in that kind of faith and be steadfast and do not shift from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed, underline that word proclaim, has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, made it my full-time job, became a minister. Here's what this means. If you actually believe this, you couldn't keep your mouth shut. I mean, really. Really? I mean, existentially, not just like in your head. If you really, really believe, wow, I'm not a bad person that was trying to be better. I'm a dead person that came to life. Then the natural response is that you would proclaim it to all creation. I mean, think about it. What if, what if practically this happened to you? Like today, you died and came back to life. Like on your way to the car, when we're done here in about three hours, you're walking out of the car And boom, you get hit by a truck, and you're out there just dead. I mean, you know what would happen, right? We'd have to, everybody would be out there. I'd be here all day. I had to sign papers and interviews. That would be awful, right? And there I am. So we're out there with you, and you're dead. (laughs) Can you imagine? I don't mean dead for like 30 seconds and they make a movie about it. I'm talking about dead, dead. You know what I'm talking about. They're zipping you up in that big bag. And then right when we get to the top of the zipper, and I'm signing my last little paper I would have to sign, What if, what if the zipper? You're like, hold on, and there's some wiggling, and you just come up out of there. Woo, I'd be like, bro, what happened? I don't know, but I feel great. And we looked over, and you didn't have a scratch on you. What would you do tomorrow at work? People, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, not that much, you know. It was the weather and some. No, you'd be like, bro, I was dead. I mean, all the way dead. And now I'm at work. This is crazy. And and the church would get all around you. We'd make cheesy Christian movies about you. Our video team would be all over that junk. We would. We'd have you lay down filming you. That's dead Ted right here. got his stuff, his brain nosing out his ear. How you feeling, dead Ted? Good, all right. And then we'd get you back on the screen and be like, what's life like now? And we'd show that for the next nine Easters. That's what we would do. This is what Paul is saying. When you realize I once was and now I am, I once was dead and now I'm alive, I once was lost and now I'm found, I was once alienated and now I'm adopted, then you proclaim it in all creation under heaven. Paul says, I believe it so much, it's all I do. It is my full-time job. So let me ask you, church, where would you be without the gospel? You'd be lost, utterly and completely lost. So therefore, we owe it to all creation to share the gospel. Here's the point. And do not think, just because I got to the point in 30 minutes, that we are getting out early. That is not (laughs) happening. Here's the point. At some point, God used other people to reach us. At some point, God used some other people to tell us about the glorious gospel. And now God's using us to reach some other people. And the moment that you are rescued, you become a part of the rescue team. The moment you are rescued by Christ's saving rescue mission, then you and I join his team so that we can reach out and be used by him so that other people can know what we know. And I'm telling you, a big fat warning is this. Be careful lest we forget the mission of God. Be careful, church, because we can forget the mission of God in a second. And if we're not careful, especially churches like ours in places like Jacksonville, Instead of making missionaries, we can just make Christian consumers. And there's nothing more sad than the Christian consumer. And the Christian consumer is, is when you show up to church and you're, not th- you're thinking about what you can get, not what you can give. What you can take, not what you can add. And listen, if you're a baby Christian, if you've been a Christian less than a year, then take your time, man. Take your time. But if you've been a Christian a while, how sad is it if you're just a big, fat, baby Christian? which is a lot of what we have. I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking in a whole bunch of churches. People show up, been a Christian a long time, just show up with your big overgrown baby belly and your dirty diaper just all a mess and reeks and your big toddler head just all wobbly and unstable with an umbilical cord in your hand. And you show up in the church going, feed me, feed me, feed me. And you're just trying to plug in to whatever program you can so you can just feed your fat baby fat. got the Jacksonville church scene figured out. Know which service to go where because you like the music here and the preaching there. And there's hotter chicks at this one than that one. And you're doing the same thing at the bricks that you're doing at all the church services. Just trying to get a date. I'm telling you. Are you a consumer or are you a missionary? Because our job here is not to just feed fat baby Christians. To be fatter in your own fatness. It's lean, mean soldiers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, make no bones about it, man. The shepherd is supposed to feed the sheep. And so week after week after week, man, we, we feed the word, okay? We do. But my job is not to spoon feed you for the rest of your life. It's so that you, you grow up and you're strengthened and, and, and you come here to supplement what you're doing and feeding yourself and being a part of the mission of God. Here's, here's the way John Piper says it. Piper says, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. I don't know what that means, but that's how Piper talks, and I love it. He says, our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. What have you been praying for? Have you been praying for the billions of people that have never heard the name of Jesus and how we could play a role in that? Have you been praying like crazy that the lost people that God has placed in your life, that God would use you as a light in that dark place to lead them unto him? Or have you just been praying for a parking place and that your team wins and that all the lights are green on the way to work? What we're praying for will quickly reveal what's most important in our life. Church, we will not be a a big old place just to feed the consumerism of the day. We will be missionaries on mission for the almighty God. In the late 20s, the late 1920s, uh, this huge cruise liner was built called the Queen Mary. And it was the most luxurious of all cruise liners of all times. Think uh, The Titanic turned up a notch. And for about a decade, it took the richest of the rich of the rich from, from England to New York and back and forth. Till the 1940s it pulled into a harbor in New York and it did not leave for 18 months. And you know why it didn't leave for 18 months? Because we were at war. And when you're at war uh, fine china doesn't matter anymore. And ornate woodwork doesn't matter anymore. And vacations like that are not nearly as important. And it took 18 months for them to take the Queen Mary and strip her down. And they took luxurious suites and rooms that were built for two people to be comfortable and they converted them into a troop transporter where 18 or 16 to 18 troops could be in that one room. And it went from being a place where they could, they could take 3,000 people on vacation to being a troop carrier that could ship 16,000 soldiers. And they renamed it the Grey Ghost. Why do I tell you that? Did I tell you that because I'm into boats? Only if you're inviting me to go fishing. But here's why I tell you. Because we will not be a cruise liner for Christians, but a battleship for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Amen. Today in Long Beach, California, amen, amen, amen. Today in Long Beach, California, you can go and visit the Queen Mary. And they have, it's set up like a museum. And some of the rooms are set up for wartime, and some of the rooms are set up for luxury. Every church has a tendency to shift Towards trying to take care of the consumers And make the Christians feel really comfortable On their way to heaven And the moment we begin to do that We lose sight of the mission Of what God has called us to do At some point, God used some other people proclaiming the gospel to reach us. Now God wants to use us proclaiming the gospel to reach some other people. And this thing will be an aircraft carrier, not a cruise liner, where we recruit and train and equip and send out. And then once again, we gather back together at headquarters, whether it's here or Mandarin or Bay Meadows, wherever it is, so that people can get refueled and re-energized and make sure they have the right marching orders and can be out on mission for the glory of God and your joy. John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, also, I'd highly encourage you to read that. He says it this way. He says, I'm wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. And before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs. And I'm using my money the way unbelievers do. And I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about people perishing. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. And I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace, and I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do, not what God can do. It's a terrible sickness, and I thank God for those who have forced me again and again towards a war-time mindset. That is what Before All Things is all about that we declare the reason we're at war is because he is before all things and he first loved us by sending his son Jesus Christ on a rescue mission. And the moment you get rescued, you and I become a part of the rescue team. That's what the whole thing is all about. And so I would ask you, pull out your vision piece. It says Vision 2017. And this is what we as a church are called to do. Because I do not, as a church, ever want to lose sight of the mission of God. And ideally, what I would love to happen is if somebody were to ask you, so what's your church all about? You'd be like, hey, we're a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way God is calling us to do that in 2017 is four big initiatives that he is calling us to. And let me tell you why I put this in front of you. See, when you grow up country, like I grew up country, Country people have, like, these proverbs, these little, like, proverbial stories. You ever notice that? It's great. See you city people miss out on more than you know, okay? And so we, we used to raise hunting dogs. We raised beagles. At one point, I had 22 beagles that, at my house, okay? And so uh, that's just true. And they would chase rabbits, all right? And we would rabbit hunt every weekend. And I know some of you are like, we love rabbits. We did, too, just kind of in a different way. Like, we agree. <laughs> I know, it seems weird now, but that's what we did, okay? And so... Um, we, we would let the dogs out of the box in the back of the truck, and they would hit the ground. And, and inevitably, when we were hunting, one of the dogs would see something and take off, just take off running. And the moment that first lead dog took off running, the other four would be like, all right, burr, and they would start barking, and they would run after him too. And almost every single time, four of them would come back in about 15 minutes, and they'd all just hang out by the truck. But that one, that lead dog, would not come back for a long time. So they either caught it or we had to go get it. And i, I Daddy, what's going on? he said, say, Butter, let me tell you what. You see, that first dog, the reason it won't stop is because it's seen the prize. And the reason those other four dogs, they're just excited about being on the run. They're just running because dogs run. That's what they do. But that one that has seen the prize won't stop until it gets the prize. Make no mistake about it, Church of 1122. There's a bunch of people that are caught up in this movement because there's a bunch of people caught up in this movement. Just showing up, what are we barking at? I don't know, whoo, here we go, before all things. What does that mean? I had no idea. This is great. Want to go out? No? Okay, all right, yeah, that's it. That is not the goal. The goal is that we would see the prize, and we would, we would have our eyes so transfixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith that we could run the race that he has marked out for us, and the prize is not before all things. The prize is not 1122. The prize is Jesus Christ, because he is before all things. Amen. So that's what this whole thing is all about. And so if you open it up, it's kind of origami-ish, all right? got to be smart to get this. Before, before we dive into where we're going, I always think it's a, it's a good biblical value to look over your shoulder and see the faithfulness of God. That's what that first page is. And the reason, the reason there's all those numbers there is because every single number represents a person who has a story and a name. And Jesus died for every single one of those people. And there's some amazing things. I mean, you could pick any spot that you want. But last year, we baptized 550 people. And, and we, since we've opened the doors in 2012, 4,112 people have surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Praise God, praise God. And I mentioned this last week. I know there's always some people, why does it have to be so big? Who do you want to send home? You see, this is more important than the Queen Mary. This isn't transatlantic. This is transcendental. We're going from here to heaven not to Europe, so I say pack them in, baby, pack them in. And so look at the faithfulness of God. Why did he choose us? For his glory. And it definitely ain't because of us. And what we're doing is not new, it's just our turn. We stand on the shoulders of faithful men and women, faithful churches that have gone before us. But God's hand of favor is all over this movement that is the church of 1122. And so the first thing that we're called to do is before all things that we are declaring he is before all things personally in our own lives and then corporately as a church. So under that there are there are four buckets that God has called us to be a part of. Number 1 is to continue to cultivate ministry. This is why we're not doing a capital campaign. We do a one fund generosity initiative. Because we do not want to take our eyes off of the mission that God has given us. We don't want to get real excited about buildings. We want to get real excited about what God is doing in those buildings to raise up people to send out all over the world. And so every time you bring a dollar to this place, it goes to all of the mission and ministry that God has called us here. That's discipling our kids and discipling us and disciple groups and mission trips and all of those things. The second initiative is this. It's time to put down roots. That at the end of this year, we are gonna buy the entire Walmart with Hobby Lobby as our tenant. You wanna talk about God's sovereignty that Hobby Lobby is our neighbor? You understand? I mean, they are so overtly Christian. They're more Christian than some of the churches in America today. You understand? I mean, praise God. They obey the Sabbath. That's how you got to park today. We should at least thank Him for that. And so, not only that, God took this place, which honestly, a few years ago, was pretty stinky and pretty terrible. And we placed a cross right in the middle of it, and he made it very, very valuable. It is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ because he's also done that over 4,000 times in the hearts and lives of individuals. And so we're gonna put down roots right here. And we're gonna continue to plant the gospel in new locations. When we started this initiative, we had one location. Now we have three locations. So a year ago in January, we planted Bay Meadows in an old sports bar, a place where people used to go get hammered. Now they get hammered with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God, it's (laughs) awesome. And then this January, we planted in Mandarin. And uh, at our 9 o'clock service, I know, we had to scoop people in. We asked all the skinny chicks, sit three to a seat, please, if you don't mind. we got to <laughs> fit all y'all in. And so the reason is because... God became, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And so we are trying to move into the neighborhood, which means this, we are believing because of the continued generosity of you, of us, of Church of 1122, that we will be able to do a fourth and fifth location in the next couple of years. So pray like crazy for us as we are trying to go north. We have thousands of families that are not individuals, thousands of families that are coming from just up the road north here. And we are trying to put a location there and we're trying to go souther than where we are now. It's not a word unless that's your southern, and then you can use it. That's what we're doing here. And then also, C.T. Studd, this old dead missionary, used to say, the light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. And so what we're doing is trying to shine the light to the edge of the continents and right here in Jacksonville. Since we started this initiative, do you realize you planted 64 churches? You started 26 pastor schools. You are a part of training 492 pastors right now as we speak, primarily in East Africa and Brazil. This fall, I mean this spring, I'm gonna go visit both of them and do pastoral training for the pastors that you are making available an opportunity for them to be trained. and. Something that God is doing that's just incredible is um, he's used our church, the Church of 1122, to negotiate really a partnership between Acts 29, that's the church planning organization that we are a part of, and Compassion International. That in Brazil and then hopefully all around the world, we can plant churches with Acts 29 assessed pastors and they would be compassion projects from day one. Let me translate that into something that means a lot to us. That means in the next 10 years. There will be thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of children that are rescued from poverty in Jesus' name because of your generosity through the Before All Things initiative. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Secondly, the second thing. See if you can find this one on here. Okay, you got to open up, turn left, go to the thing that looks like this. That The Church of 1122 is about being a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. 1122 is not an event you attend. It's a family to belong in. And again, we're a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus, to accomplish the Great Commission. And the imperative in the Great Commission is to make disciples. So we don't want to be in the crowd business. If I wanted to do the crowd business, I'd go monster truck. They crush it every year. No pun intended. What we want to do is this not just to be an event I want you, listen, I know you are the varsity of Christianity 1122. We believe you can read. And so I would like for you to take this part home today and read through it. And on the right side is a bit of a diagnostic exam here for you to ask some questions in and around our vision statement. Hey, how are you loving all people? Are you serving and sharing? And have you discovered your identity in Jesus Christ? Is your salvation rooted in your identity in him or in your activity? And if you are a Christian, if you've surrendered your life to him, are you being a steward of the resources and the gifts and the talents that he has given you? And as a follower of Jesus, are you deepening your relationship with the faith family and your faith in God? And what I want to challenge you to do is go through this thing and just pick the one area where God might be calling you to take a step of faith. Because guess what happens if you quit taking steps? You can no longer be a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, this church is a movement. Movements are on the move. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says, Therefore, as you are on the go, make disciples, which means that Jesus is on the go, and we follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior. So what is the one step that you need to take in one of these areas? If you try to do all this at one time, you'll be like the person that signs up for the gym this year and tried to make up for 10 years of, of not working out in about 10 minutes of working out. You kill yourself, okay? So just relax a little bit. Maybe the one step you need to take is maybe you just need to finally get out of a row and get in a circle and sign up for a disciple group. At the end of the service, you can do that today. And that could be your step to grow in your faith and grow in your faith family. I dare you to go through this. This is the second thing that we're gonna be doing actually every year, that we are a place that makes disciples, that makes disciples, that makes disciples, that makes disciples. The third thing, it's just the life of 1122. You see, this is a big dysfunctional family and we have a rhythm to our year, much like you have a rhythm to your family. And some of these events were Jesus' idea and some of them we sort of manufactured. But honest to goodness, I would love for you to have this this early that you would plan your entire calendar around these big rocks of the church and what it's doing in your life. This first one, Easter, that was Jesus' idea. We didn't come up with that, but we're going with it, all right? April 16th, and actually all of that week. Here's what we know. People come to church on Easter. The, the people that you would have said no to you 25 times, they'll come on Easter. And last year, we had... Dozens and dozens and dozens of people surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ on Resurrection Sunday and Thursday and Saturday and all the days that we have it. And so 40 days out for this, we're going to pray, we're going to fast, and we're going to prepare. The next thing is beach baptism. Beach baptism is like tailgating for Jesus. It's the greatest church thing I've ever been to in my life. All we do is we get together as a big church family. If, If you grew up Baptist, remember Dinner on the Grounds? So it's sort of like that, but better, okay? And so we we bring tents and everything down to the beach, and we celebrate that Jesus is before all things in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people's lives. For some of you, your next step of faith is that you need to get baptized this year, and we're gonna come out here and celebrate like crazy. That's what that thing's about. And then in the fall, we have saturated. Saturated is camp for adults. Saturated is for those of you that come to church 1.7 times a month. And you feel like, oh, gosh, I feel like the Lord's drawing me, but if I can just keep it from getting on me, I don't have to change anything. I know who you are. And what I hope and pray is that over this week, you'd come every single night, Wednesday through Sunday, and you would be saturated in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he would wreck your life in the best way possible. And then we have Christmas Eve. Here at 1122, we do about 1,025 services for Christmas Eve. All right, we got them at every time you could possibly imagine. And here's why. Because, again, dozens and dozens and dozens of people come to, to hear the gospel and meet Jesus as their Lord and Savior for the very first time at these services. Now, you know why we do all of these things? We do all of these things so that God could use you to reach one more person. On my arm, you know this, I've got Acts 11:24 that verse. And he was a good man, full of faith and Holy Spirit, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You know what a great number is? One more. And so we as a church want to partner with you to reach that one more person that God has placed in your life that you have been praying for. Because here's the thing. My goal and my hope and my desire is that you would fall in love with Jesus. The problem with that, I can't make you fall in love with anybody. But I can set up the dates. That's what this is. These are rolling out the red carpet and lighting the candle for people that are far from God now to be able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these are the events that we are a part of. And then the fourth one is this. The fourth one is love your neighbor. In, in that verse from Mark, it's also in Matthew and Luke that I just read, the, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then Jesus says and the second commandment is like it. He says love your neighbor as yourself because when we love, when we love, it just does something to people that is supernatural. Check out what happens when the church loves like it's supposed to. Check this out. Here in Jacksonville Beach, the damage was simply hard to watch,
1: but today there was a crew from the Church of 1122 going house by house, helping people who needed to get their lives back to normal. And we called up with the crew when they ran into one woman who had just arrived home and needed help getting the damage out of her yard. Is there more stuff in the back? Look at the hands on every damaged home. It's been crazy. And consider it proven.
0: I do not know how to get that.
1: It's better to give.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Than to receive. As soon as I heard the bridges were open, I decided to come back and see what was going on. The Zarns joined a team from the Church of 1122 looking for the worst of it. We weren't even supposed to do this house. Someone just stopped us. She said she needed help. Help. It was over the garage. As damaged dollars. There was a hole there. Yeah. Add up. There could be nothing more valuable oh my goodness. than help.
2: Well, I'm calling my girlfriend to talk to her about, you know, the, the condition of the back.
1: Ellen Billingsley evacuated Thursday. When she arrived home, neighbors were already cleaning up.
2: I was just still unpacking. <laughs> this nice gentleman right here in the orange shirt came up and said that um, the church would like to help. Eleven Twenty Two would like to help. So I said. Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, really? One was on a house.
1: The nice guys, Ron Armstrong, fell in the neighbor's pool. He gathered a team from the church of 1122, willing to tackle what so many were unable to.
0: I drove over here and met the lady
1: at Ellen's. A blanket of debris covered the yard. A tree held on just inches from the corner of the house.
2: Woo! So that's why they're here. Doing a lovely job. It's a blessing it really is. It's gonna make me cry now.
1: Yeah, going make me cry. Help. Well, there's beauty in it too, you know, with people helping each other.
2: <laughs> too deep. It is beautiful that when people wanna help each other, but it's also about, you know, when things bad things happen, you know it's 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 tough to do to get through.
1: More powerful than a hurricane that did so much wrong is the help of a team.
2: To expect nothing in return, to out of the goodness of their heart, that's that's a beauty of life.
1: Doing so much to make it right. The Church of 1122 canceled all of its Sunday services. Last night, Head Pastor Joby Martin sent out an email to the congregation saying, "Don't come to church. Instead, go into the community and serve one another." In Jacksonville Beach, I'm Clark Foraker, First Coast
0: News. Amen. Remember that? You see, love is the greatest apologetic. Love is the greatest apologetic. And 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 that nice guy, Ron, he's sitting right here. He works at Hope's Closet. I don't know. A decade ago, he's a drug dealer, and now. Now he is, that's not like a joke, like literally. I know, some of you are like, I know. Okay, so, <laughs> you know what this guy embodies? The moment he was rescued, he became a part of the rescue team. And so what God is calling us to do as a church is to love our neighbors. We're going to do this in three primary ways. Number one, you're going to go on a mission trip because our neighbors live around the world. That's what the story of the Good Samaritan is about. And so we're going to take the gospel to the edges of the, the continents of the world. And you got three years to go. If, and here, You don't have to go every three years, but Jesus discipled his disciples for three years, and then he cut them loose on the world. Got it? And so if you're going to be a part of 1122, that's what we do. We go on mission. You can sign up on our website. Some of you are like, ah, see, you're hostile in mind because I'm jacking around with your idol. The best way for you to deepen your relationship with Jesus is help somebody else discover theirs. God will actually do more in you and through you as you go than you would ever be able to do for somebody else. And then also, uh, we're we're gonna love our neighborhoods, and a part of the way we're gonna love our neighborhoods is you're gonna attend the campus of 1122 that is closest to your neighborhood. If you were driving by our other campuses to get here, stop doing that. Same thing at Bay Meadows, same thing at Mandarin. And again, the moment you're like, "Yeah, but I like this better," aren't you big fat baby Christian? Grow up, put some big boy pants on, and you don't no longer be a consumer of the goods and services of the church, but be an owner of the mission, vision, and values of what God has called you to do, and serve and attend so that, because it ain't about you, it's about so that you can leverage that invitation to get your neighborhood to come with you to hear the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the third thing is we're gonna love our city. We're gonna love our city. Man, we have some incredible partners that we partner with in our city. We got a bunch of them, Rethreaded, uh, the McKenzie Wilson Foundation, uh, we, a bunch of folks. But one of the things we were doing is we were praying about how is God gonna use the church to bless our city. We were, we were thinking, you know, are we just going to sit back and wait for the next hurricane and be ready to go? That might take a minute. And right as we were praying through what it looks like for us to love our neighbors here in the city, some folks that are a part of the Tim Tebow Foundation and also a part of 1122 reached out to us about a partnership with them and seven other churches. And so one of the primary ways that we're going to love our neighbor and declare the gospel to our entire city is that we are partnering again with the Tim Tebow Foundation and, and seven other churches to host a prom for people with special needs. We're gonna invite 1,000 people with special needs, ages 16 and up, for a prom where we roll out the red carpet, we're using Hope's Closet for them to shop and get dresses and all of this, and we are gonna have a night where we love our neighbor and declare that because he is before all things, they are valuable and should be treated as valuable. Now, to host a 1,000 guests, we need thousands of volunteers. And I think 1122 can cover it all. The other eight churches can get a couple dozen, whatever. We are going to sign up. I need you to sign up for this. And if you don't believe me, I've asked somebody else to tell you. So check out this guy.
2: 904, what's up, J-Bill? Guys, thank you so much for partnering with us for a night to shine. But also thank you so much for collaborating because Jacksonville has the chance to be the biggest and the best night to shine out of all 375 of them because you're willing to work together. And why shouldn't Jacksonville be the biggest and the best? Guys, this is gonna be so awesome. We get a chance to totally change our city and bring so much love and hope and faith to the people that need it in our city. Guys, this is gonna be awesome. Thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for bringing a night to shine to Jacksonville but also doing it in a pretty amazing, awesome way. We get to totally change our city. And we're doing it because you're willing to collaborate and partner with us. I want to share with you a letter that one of the moms from last year's Night to Shine wrote to me. There have been many times I've wanted to shout to everyone and no one in particular. Don't forget my girl. It's not easy, I know. But she's here, sitting in the dark, waiting for you to sit with her, see her, know her, Don't forget my girl. At night to shine, God whispered to me, I will never, ever forget her. She is famous to me like an A-lister walking the red carpet. I throw a party, serve the best food, and clothe her in love. I pamper her with my goodness and put a crown on her head. She is precious, and she is mine. How extravagant is love of God for us. That's how we want to make every single kid feel. How extravagant is the love of God for us? That's why we throw a night to shine. It's more than just a prom. It's a night where we can change people's lives because we get to share the love of God with them. That's pretty cool. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being a part of a night to shine.
0: Amen. That guy should have been a preacher, especially in college. Hey, uh, you know what Tim Tebow has done? He has said, God, how can I leverage what you have given me to declare that you are above all things? That it, it is what, what he has done. That's what we are doing as a church so that we can declare to the whole world. When, people, when, thousands, when the whole city looks at this event and says, what do you, why are y'all doing this? We'll say, because he is before all things. Next week, you're going to bring this card back from your before all things notebook. And I want you praying like crazy all week long. And next week, you'll have an opportunity to say, I want to be a part of the vision of this church. I want to declare that he is before all things. For some of you, either you were here last year or you weren't, but you did not make a commitment last year, and you're saying, this is what my 12-month commitment is, to be a part of what God is doing to declare his glory to the ends of the earth. For some of you, you made a commitment last year, and there will be an opportunity for you to say, this is my commitment and I, I will persevere. And some of you have been beaten up by the enemy, but I would say keep your chin up because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And his divine power has given you everything you need to accomplish whatever God has called you to accomplish. And there will be hundreds, if not thousands, of people that made commitments that said, you know what, God has grown my faith or grown my finances. And so for me, it is a new level of generosity that declares that he is before all things. That's what we're about, folks. That's what we're about. And I know anytime I talk about this stuff, some people are like, yeah, but what could I do? I don't know if my little part matters. I don't know that I've been gifted. I don't have a platform. What can I do? Do you know what hangs in the balance over this next year in regards to your obedience to Christ? You literally have no idea what God may use you for. Do you ever think 1122 might not be the big thing, that we might just be the platform on which he launches the next Billy Graham or the next Compassion International Movement or the next big thing? And here's how I know it was not a preacher that led me to Jesus. It was a JV football coach and he had no idea what hung in the balance. 10 years ago, when I was on staff at Beach Church, Pastor Jerry Sweat, he was doing a series called Go Fish because Jesus said we were gonna be fishers of men. And he asked us to write a letter to the person that fished for us, the person that led us to Jesus. And I found the letter that I wrote to Coach Lee. I wrote it 10 years ago. Here's what it said. Dear Coach Lee, I hope you're doing well. It's been a long time since I've contacted you. This week I was thinking about my life and I realized what a huge part you played in me becoming the man that I am. I thank you for being such a faithful man of God. Thank you for being willing to run Camp Pine Hill summer after summer. Thank you for caring enough about this confused little boy that you went out of your way to get me to camp every summer. I'll never forget that night when I was introduced to Christ. The counselors reenacted the crucifixion of Christ. And as I watched what Jesus did on the cross, I knew it wasn't just a church story, but an actual event. And I remember you looking at me and telling me that God loved me so much that he sent his only son to pay the price for me. That night, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. My life has really changed a lot since that night at camp. Because you cared enough about me to share the love of God, hundreds of kids have come to know that same love. I'm a pastor now, and by the grace of God, he uses me on a daily basis to share with people what you shared with me. Thank you for loving God and loving me. At some point, God's used some other people to reach all of us. Now God wants to use all of us to reach some other people. The moment you realize you have been rescued, you become a part of the rescue team, and you have no idea what God might use and the little bit that you bring before him, your life saying, all right, God, here I am, send me. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. And if you wanna be a part of that vision, declaring to the whole world he is before all things, then come on and join us at 1122, because that is what we are all about. Would you please pray with me? Our good and gracious heavenly Father, God, we thank you. We thank you that we were, past tense, alienated from you. We were, past tense, hostile in mind. And we were, past tense, doer of evil deeds. And now, by the grace of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross, we have been reconciled unto you, not by our works, but by your good works we have been brought from death to life. And now, in your sight, we are holy and blameless and above reproach. And God, I pray that by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you would grow us up. You would grow us out of that baby stage just thinking about where we could plug in to feed me. But God, we would be equipped and trained to be sent out on the rescue mission that you are all about. God, may we declare as individuals and then collectively as you gather us together as a movement for all people, may we declare that Jesus is before all things. And may this entire world starting in our city, may they see our love And they know that this is the love that reflects the love of a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name.
2: Amen.